Podcast Network. Welcome to CJ's Talking. Would you like to try this special? No, let me have one of your podcast networks, please. What size drink would you like with that? Uh, I'm gonna skip the drink, thanks. Would you like any ketchup or sauce? What the hell am I gonna do with ketchup or sauce with a podcast network? Thank you for choosing CJ's Podking. Please pull to the first window. This is the Versus Machine Podcast, a comparison of great things. The Versus Machine takes on two works of art, one source material and one adaptation, and processes it through to discover the differences and similarities of the two. Whether those differences are good or bad is up to you. After all, it's what happens when you transform one medium into another. It's time to engage the Versus Machine. The machine is on, and it's time again to run two items through it. I'm Stephen Wagner. And I'm Stephen Clifton. Well, this is a very special time because, as you know, it's Halloween. Probably my most exciting time of the year. My favorite holiday of all holidays. And uh, so we decided to dress up. And uh, let's see, what are you supposed to be now that I'm looking at you? What, you can't tell what I am? A guy in a cloak? Close enough. It's I'm like a wizard or something, or uh, yeah, a sorcerer to be sorcerer, exact. Sorcerer, okay. Yeah, so I got that magic going. Okay, well, uh, can and, you guess uh, who I am? I don't know. What are you? <laughs> okay, I I didn't see. Okay, well, I'm. If you have seen the movie You're Next, I'm actually the guy who wears the tiger mask. Oh. So I'm all souped up, ready to uh, kill some unsuspecting family members. All right, I'll <laughs> back you up. All right, great. And if you want to, too, to see what we look like, we're actually live right now. You can actually go over to our Facebook page. It's at www.facebook.com slash machine. Head on over there, and you're able to see us all looking pretty in our outfits. <laughs> yeah, the Versus Machine is all about education, education of the source, of the adaptation, and of what happens when you take something from one medium and change it to another. So let's go ahead and talk about our uh, topics here. I'm pretty psyched being Halloween. Same here. What we're going to be talking about today is The Shining. Now, there are many topics and people in history that in some way define fear, whether it be creating it, keeping in line with it, or broadening it. And it seems more often than not that the study of fear and application is something to behold, whether we are speaking of Alfred Hitchcock, Bram Stoker, or especially the most notable name in literature history, Stephen King. Now, King has spent more than 30 years chilling and questioning us on so many different levels that it has a fa- it's become a fact that uh, of a household name that I don't know one household that doesn't have a Stephen King book, to be honest. And while many of his books are revered, none can be mentioned more on the lips of consumers than The Shining. Now, the book not only revolutionized fear, but psychology as well. Uh, conversely, in terms of the darker side of movies, Stanley Kubrick has and always will be a force to be reckoned with, to be honest. And when he adapts something, you can be sure it's quite an experience to behold. That is why we here at the Versus Machine podcast have chosen to take these two mammoths of entertainment to process through, and who knows, maybe we might find something to really educate inside. So yeah, we're going to be doing Stephen King's The Shining, the book, versus Stanley Kubrick's The Shining film. Now, they also made a, uh, Stephen King actually also made another adaptation of The Shining about maybe in the mid-90s. It was a TV series that followed a little bit more closely to the book from what I understand. And 
even more exciting that we're doing this now. We The sequel to The Shining, the book, actually just came out, I think, last month called Dr. Sleep. And I have yet to read it, but I heard really good things, and I'm pretty psyched to read it. So it's almost perfect that we're doing this now. Same here. Awesome. So let's roll. Yeah, let's go ahead and get this started. All right. Let's, why don't we take a look at characters? Danny Torrance. In the book, Danny Torrance is an extraordinary little boy. In the movie, Danny Torrance is a zombie. <laughs> uh, not literally a flesh-eating zombie, but... No, but he, he is just... He's, like, not there. He's, yeah, he's like, just out of it, you know? I just don't feel as... In, well, okay, in the book, he acts like a normal boy. Any normal five-year-old boy that I know of... Pretty normal, but, you know, he's... Granted that a lot of his conversations go on in his head, like his thoughts, but... He knows but, things. But when he does talk, he does... You know, he acts like a normal kid. Yeah. He talks to his parents. You know, he just acts like a normal boy with normal feelings, I guess. Uh, in the movie, I don't know. He I, looks so zoned out half the time. Like, I don't even, like, see him talk to his parents that much at all. He's just kind of, you know, zoning out. Right. Like, I mean, I just, I remember, like, in the first part of the movie when we're actually introduced to him. Yeah. You know, he's just kind of sitting there at the breakfast table, like, staring into space while eating his, like, sandwich. What, sandwich? Yeah, yeah, it was like, just a sandwich. It was and breakfast. he's just like... Yeah, I guess so. There's hardly anybody enough to play with around here. Is anybody talking to me? Yeah, like, I, yeah, like, it, like seriously, just zoning out like a zombie, I, pretty I, much. Kids don't do that. And there's that, and then throughout the entire film, either he's not talking, I guess maybe Kubrick has a certain way of kind of portraying characters the way he wants them to, but I don't either see he the... wasn't talking, and when he was, it was like, where's the emotion? Now, granted, there are a few parts within the movie that you get some believable faces and expressions but other than that like he's lot. just kind of like uh, he's you know <laughs> I, I, you know i almost feel like he you know they could have just used a cardboard cutout of him or something because he he didn't do much he was just he was there i think you have to just kind of take it for what it is too because in the book too i mean he every, everything is going on in his head all the things that and for a five-year-old boy i mean a lot of the things that he's hearing he kind of talks about that he doesn't quite understand them uh, mm -hmm. but we can get into that a little bit more later but i think in the book he was just a little bit more believable than in the film because i think there was more going he, on he, there than in the movie because it just seemed like they could have put any kid in there and just gave him three lines of script you know three scripts of line <laughs> just to say and that was that like there wasn't any real like he didn't no he didn't have a there lot. wasn't much personality behind that at all no jack torrance in the book, Jack Torrance is a recovering alcoholic looking for absolution. In the movie, Jack Torrance is a writer who goes insane. Now, this is probably one of the... Well, I had, I had seen The Shining first before I had read the book, but... Well, I have too. I guess I believe in the... In the book, I felt a little bit of sympathy towards him, everything that he was kind of going through. Mm -hmm. But in the movie... Jack Torrance is played by Jack Nicholson, and I felt like once Jack Torrance entered the screen, it was just Jack Nicholson. Jack Nicholson had played himself in just, most other roles that he's been in, just kind of it, a kind always, of crazy yeah. looking guy, like almost like he was already insane, you know, before <laughs> anything had happened. Isn't that what he does in like almost every film that he does? Not well, not almost every film, but that's just I mean, how I feel. Like, there wasn't much of a character development there. He was either less insane to more insane. And in the book... It was just you, a big jump. Right. In the so, book, I feel like he's had so much of a, 
of a buildup. You got to know this person a little bit back on his backstory. He was a he was a teacher, wasn't he? Right. He was like a he was a writer and a teacher, and he was also an alcoholic, more yeah. notably from a rough childhood going into, I mean, his life. Well, because... One thing after another, he. Because he didn't have a good life either with his parents, did he? Well, in the beginning, he had a decent life until maybe he was about seven years old and Mm. his father had become a a drunk and one night felt the need to to beat his mother at the dinner table. And I think that kind of scarred him a little bit. I would say so. And I think that just kind of followed through with him throughout his life and here we are now to his And now he's doing the same thing. But, I mean, luckily before... Mm. It just kind of builds up to him as a teacher, but also, unfortunately, one night he coming home drunk late one night when Danny was probably three, I think, that he had. Yeah. Danny had spilled beer all over Jack's papers. By accident. And he uh, just meant to grab Danny and, you know, give him a swat on the butt, but unfortunately used too much strength and broke Danny's arm. And after that moment, he pretty much cut the, you know, quit using the sauce he, as soon as that he, he stopped drinking at all yeah so he pretty much yeah. went cold turkey on that and uh that's a good explanation for that not that, only that's... after that like even when his teaching career after he had stopped drinking nearly killed a student for slashing oh, his tires right. He... right he wasn't even drinking yet he, yet he had almost st- lost it he had a real temper problem uh, so it wasn't just the alcohol then. That, well no it was that wasn't well there was that but I mean, also some of it was but some of he it. still had that you know, built up rage inside him from, he I had, think it's the effects. It, it keeps listing in the book that he keeps losing his temper. And he says that to himself too, you know, you lost yeah. your temper again. And it just kind of builds to that. But just all of it in general, like you kind of so, like develop more feelings for Jack a little way. Feel symp- sympathy I did for feel what he does later on in the book More as well, sympathetic towards him in the book. Um, before he starts kind of going slowly mm-hmm. insane, especially when... Uh, when he wasn't drinking, he was chewing on Excedrin and oh, yeah, wiping his mouth his with his mouth. napkin. Yeah, just uh, his drinking habits, even and though he wasn't drinking. He, he couldn't get rid of that, could he? No. So, I mean, and in the movie, there wasn't much of a build-up to that. You kind of known Jack as just this normal guy who's getting this job at the Overlook Hotel as the caretaker yeah. during the winter season from October to May, I believe. October yes. to May 1st, yes. I'm pretty sure. For springtime. Where he stays there all year. There wasn't anything really off about him. And not much backstory was given right. off so of we, that. We couldn't so we couldn't really build any sympathy he, other than, oh, he's just here, he slowly goes insane, and that's that. We couldn't tell that he was an alcoholic or had a temper problem at all because well, he started off happy. Well, you had known happy. that, given off later on, you, you hear that he uh, he stopped drinking. Well, yeah, vaguely, but it didn't really give it. That's all what you the heard about. Did. That's it. That he he was a drunk. He, he was drinking, but he quit drinking. That was about it. There wasn't much gone into it. It was it was pretty quick, but that's pretty much Jack in a nutshell. Wendy Torrance. In the book, Wendy Torrance is a submissive mother. In the movie, Wendy Torrance is a typical housewife. Once again, sort of what I mentioned with Jack Torrance, like you kind of build up that sympathy with Jack, but with the book, you get to know a little bit more about Wendy in particular too, because while with Wendy, you really get her as more of this submissive kind of timid person that doesn't really speak her mind up that much. She's kind of like- Afraid of him? A little bit, and really always suspicious, because ever since- uh, Well, when he he broke his arm? Even before uh, Jack accidentally broke Danny's arm when he was three, 
she would become very familiar with the scent of gin on Jack's breath. Oh, that's right. She right when he checked, comes home, didn't, didn't she? Right. Yeah. And it's always been like that. And even after, since then, even when he stopped drinking, she still had that concern she, for him she very kept, greatly, didn't she, she? Almost by instinct to like kind of get that smell in the air to see if he's been drinking, even though he hadn't been. But and then this is something that Jack notices too. But like, yeah, she somehow. I think. And the word divorce has always been on her head, too. Like, she always wanted to bring it up to him. Was it never just really Wendy, quite... or did they both think about... No, it was just Wendy. Just... Jack never... He didn't bring it up ...consider whatsoever. it. Like, he, the word divorce wasn't even in his head. But Danny, like, when they're at the dinner table, yeah. usually dinner table talks were pretty quiet. Like, there wasn't much going on. But Danny would often hear the word divorce while in Wendy's head. While she was And kind of know... Hmm. He doesn't know what divorce is, but he kind of associates that with the, the, uh, the what bad thing well the bad thing what they mention is jack's drinking like the alcohol that's the bad thing that he keeps referring to or how he words it because danny being the age of five one really doesn't know, know a yeah. whole lot of words signs what things mean when people say so he kind of just associates that the best of his ability what's what he categorizes as good and bad but with Wendy, yeah, she's always been that kind of, eh, I don't know about this kind of person. Just that and wants to be hopeful, but I don't know, almost in a, in a kind of weird way, bringing Jack down a little bit. But I think she gets that a lot of that because it goes into detail mm -hmm. with her mother, which she talks about because her mother oh, from that's the right. book, she, she was. She was pretty bad towards her, wasn't she? She, she wasn't, I wouldn't call her mother of the year. <laughs> Um, so they both had some sort of problems when it came to their parents. It makes me kind of wonder yeah, how... Yeah, like with Jack and his history, Wendy has a little bit of history too, which is maybe how I feel they were kind of drawn to each other in a way. Really? Maybe. That's just my thinking on that. I think just two people together. Because it still that... seems kind of strange that the two would be drawn together if they had a bad childhood and you know she was so submissive. I think it was him. almost like one way that they could relate in a way. You know, I could be wrong. That's just how I kind of see it. I kind of wonder when she actually started to get this, you know, I think it's always been like that because, well, like, her father was always considered the bad guy, even though he wasn't from what I gathered from it. It's just her mother hmm. that was always bringing him down, almost maybe drove him to his death, but always hmm. was down talking to Wendy, always was saying, oh, yeah, you're not going to amount to anything. That's really cold. constantly bring her down, which probably explains her quietness, her Even kinda, towards Jack. Uh, yeah. Which pretty much does that, and is sometimes actually kind of jealous. It it mentions on that that when Danny's always kind of looking out for his father when he comes home, since he's always, always there wants to be for close to him. Jack, and, yeah. And even when Dan when Jack broke his arm too, Danny kind of shrugs that off, but is still kind of like really close to his father. Really loves his father. I think there's a little bit. She shouldn't. She knows she shouldn't feel like that, but she feels a little bit of jealousy there. But does in she, the movie. It, so completely different where right. she's well yeah she's, she's actually, completely different she's acts like a com very talkative housewife just happy. really it's upbeat like, you know kind of happy and i guess that's maybe a shelly because shelly duvall plays as wendy in the movie she always had that typical uh i happy. only saw her in one other film i think that was popeye <laughs> but <laughs> that's about it but she obviously wasn't acting it, like the wendy in the book the I, way she is I, she was really up until later in the movie she did what she had to. I mean, she does act like a mother. Kind of like how Wendy does later in the book as well. Yeah. yeah. You she know, she's a very protective mother. And... But in the movie, didn't seem to have that uneasiness around Jack. Never even thought of the word divorce. Or at least maybe not even it's mentioned at, at all. At least not for a long but time. But really optimistic a little bit. She's like, oh yeah, you know. Even when she was asked about Danny's arm. 
Yeah, she was, was still just, happy about that. Well, well like, I don't know if she was well, happy, but, happy, but the look on her face almost looked like she's she like, was kind of cheery. She was casual about it. She just, yeah, this happened. Okay. Yeah, you know, it's just one of those yeah. things. You know, he, he came home one night and Danny had messed his papers <laughs> up and um, just, you know. Broke his arm. Yeah. It's just one of those things. You know, he had a little bit too much to drink and broke his arm. But, <laughs> but you know, he said he would never do it again. Just really like, you know, I don't know, really uplifted it I, felt like. But that's all it was and even when they get to the hotel she's really positive about everything oh this is a great place and and uh, in the book she wasn't really kind of like oh, i don't know i mean this is kind of good for us i mean we really need but she's to still do a little this. concerned about the, the hotel then wasn't she in the book a what? little bit but i think she understood what jack's position was in this because right, because of losing his job at the college mm-hmm. um his teaching because he nearly killed that student out of anger for slashing his tires they didn't really have much left i mean they were pretty poor so this so she job, understood that this job to that jack this. took at the overlook hotel as a caretaker was kind of their last resort and so i think she just kind of in a way i think wendy was a little bit optimistic here and there about trying to make this work and this is actually good for them so but making the best of it i guess right but in the movie yeah she's just kind of like oh okay so just goes along with it pretty much just a little too happy a little bit dick hollering in the book dick is a sage in the movie dick is a guide for both the viewers and the characters dick is somebody i would want to know because he tells danny these things and he has this vast amount of knowledge in him about the shining Right. I mean, we can right yeah. something we sense um, about yeah. Because he, uh, when we meet Dick, he was he's the cook at the Overlook, and he's leaving yeah. as well when they get there before everyone leaves. And he kind of pulls Danny to the side, gets to he kind of he sees what Danny has is the Shining as well, and that's kind of what Dick has. Right. He was drawn. Um, to he him. not not as what n- nowhere near a, to the level of Danny's shine shine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but. To the extent that they could have conversations in their head back and forth, but strong enough to do that. I feel like in the book he he's he's knowledgeable. You know, he he he's been at the Overlook for a while. He kind of knows what's going on because, in a a way, he can relate to Danny because he's seen some things that happened at the Overlook Hotel as well, and almost kind of gives this little support. Like you know, if there's anything that happens you know if you need me you know be sure to call me call me real loud like in his head and you know i'll come but he kind of pulls him to the side for a little like you talk about the shining but also about some of the things that went on in this hotel too and just to warn him that but also he says that i don't think anything here can hurt you i mean i'm pretty sure they're just like pictures in a book you know they're not really Mm -hmm. real so i mean if you just close your eyes it'll all go away it'll go away once you open them so he kind of just gives Danny a little insight there. In the movie, that kind of still happens too. Vaguely. It's, so it's really cool. It's only played in one scene that when Dick is showing Wendy and Danny around the kitchen a little bit, he kind of... Pulls them. Oh, that's right. He uh, <laughs> he uh, asked if they wanted ice cream, didn't he? Just to get yeah, him away from them. Even like in the, the scene before, while she's explaining everything to Wendy, like inside yeah. Dick's head, he's thinking, how would you like some ice cream, Doc? And Danny could hear him. Mm-hmm. So, and then he brings it, yeah, like I can... Uh, you want some ice cream, Doc? And and that's how he knew that, uh, he that Wendy it. and Jack called Danny Doc. Doc. Yeah. Because, uh, and he actually mentioned it. And Wendy mentions too, like, how did, you know, how, how did you know, you know we called yeah. him Doc? Well, I'm pretty sure I heard you call him that. And, no, I don't think we have. Oh, well, you know, it's just one of those things. He looks like a Doc, doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> kind of plays that off. Yeah, off to the side, they have a very small conversation about The Shining in particular and what it is. And even during this, Danny's still acting like a zombie, just kind of staring at him. (laughs) (laughs) 
the only thing that's that closes up what dick is saying was that danny asks about room 237 in the movie and you know dick basically just says you know just stay out of there don't go in there you know it's not he didn't, didn't even, even give, give him a warning yeah. like didn't say hey, if you need me call me well, that kind of sounds weird, but <laughs> wouldn't be able to call him if the the snow takes out the phone lines. But no, you know, but he to, didn't give him warnings of what you know strange happening could happen in there. Right, that anything. was about he it. Just, He's just saying, you know, just like stay away. I think he basically just gave the gist of like, okay, here's what it is. This is the Shining. This is what we call it. Now there are some bad things that happened in this hotel, and some good things happened here. And you can see that it happened a long time ago. And I don't think there's anything wrong with this place. That was about it. That was the gist of it. And then not anymore. Intro to next scene, and then later on, what I kind of liked in the book too, it, it brings Dick back into it because something does actually go wrong. Danny calls Dick for help yeah. through his shine, and Dick, you know, kind of comes to their aid. But there's a moment there where Dick's like, "Wait a minute, why am I risking my life for these people?" And given this is 1977, 1975, I forget which was year. He's like, why should I, you know, you know, help these white folks out? But he had grown attached to Danny in a way where he felt obligated that he needed to help them, that he felt really close with this boy. So he went because he had the shine, that and just this kind just of feeling, like he just special, but also you really liked the kid, and he didn't want anything bad to happen. So he did. He okay. took a plane up to Colorado, had to drive through the snowy roads. Try to get up to the hotel. I mean, you know, almost he, he could have possibly died getting there. That was because a there was big no risk. way to get there with the snow shutting yeah. down the roads because of the he, he twenty took inches what, of snow. A snowmobile. Yeah, like you used a oh. snowcat to get up there, yeah. but just that determination to get up there to try and help them. And in the movie, it was just like, oh, Danny's calling me. Okay, but they didn't even have. Uh, they didn't even put the voice in there just to hear it, did they? They just. Had him, you know. Well, no, th- no, there was no voice. Uh, that's shit. another thing because uh, Danny's kind of saying, you know, Dick, please, please yeah. help. And I thought they would have had a voiceover for that. It was just a long ringing sound, I guess. In a way, I, I mean, I guess you'd thoughts have to aren't get really that. well portrayed in this movie because that's what in the book. There's just it's almost all of it are in thought wording, right. like thinking. But like I just every, all thought, the talking <clears throat> is in thoughts. I just would have like a book is normally. That. Yeah, and then it, it's its own way of calling them in the movie. I mean, which it's is fine. different. It's not, and a he does make his way up to the hotel as well. After that, so he kind of mm-hmm. comes to their aid, comes to their rescue, almost in a way. The only difference is in the book, Dick actually helps them out, but he lives at the end too, to try and get them out of there. And there's a moment in time too that, when they're in the shed, and he's trying to get blankets for Wendy and Danny. Yeah, that he sees the the roquet mallet. Oh yeah, that's what And he has this, and it's kind of like the hotel drawing him in, trying to like finish what Jack couldn't. And he almost really had a thought that he was going to do it. Like, wait a minute, what am I doing here? Like, he was almost driven to to kill them. It it almost got almost just almost, but then they get out of there. In the movie, he he gets there with the snowcat, goes in, and Jack axes him off, literally. He didn't to the chest, (laughs) and that's it. That you know, Dick dies, but at least leaves the snowmobile behind, the snowcat for Wendy and Danny to get away in. That was unfortunate. But he, he does serve his purpose, and he was a pretty good character. Was, I yeah. think there was a lot more to Dick in the in book, book than the show yeah. in the movie. They didn't give him a whole lot Not a whole to, lot. There was Even the so, there, once again, not a whole lot of car, uh, character development no. there. It was pretty short. Stuart Allman. In the book, Stuart is the snooty hotel manager. 
In the movie, Stuart is the nice hotel manager. What can I say? What a big difference. They're like complete opposites of each other. He's not in the book or the movie very long. Most like, you know, not in the movie. Not at all. Barely. But when you do meet them, they're almost like polar opposites. In the book, he's really, really proud of this hotel. He's the manager there, but he's really snooty as well. Like really uppity and... No, Easy none of the staff really tweak. likes him. They always kind of no. make snide remarks behind his back. Well, if it were up to him, he said that he wouldn't have given Jack the the job, given based off of his, his history. And oh, yeah. he shouldn't, you know, I don't feel comfortable leaving my hotel in, his in the care. hands of you, in mm-hmm. the hands of his care. But because Jack had a friend that actually owns a big share of the hotel, that's the reason that he was able to get the job. And so Almond's hands were kind of tied, but he made his thoughts known and how he kind of... He, he told him how he felt. And even Jack thought yeah. in his head, too, like this self-righteous, you know what. Um, <laughs> but he'll and so he it. wasn't a likable character, but really just this, you know, no, I really didn't high and mighty person. <laughs> you know, it's like, this is our luxurious presidential suite. Yes, we had four presidents that slept, you know, just that kind of... Wants that to be arrogance, proud that, that tone. These people were here, you know, he's grateful this hotel right you know he I, no. he wouldn't you know he he loves that hotel no but in the movie when you meet him hey he was he's a, an uplifting nice yeah. guy oh come on jack okay yeah let's get this interview no, I mean, going i you know they say you have great you know, great reputation and i agree i could not agree more that they picked the right person for this like mm-hmm. he, he was glad to have jack take over he the, was like you know, take care of this hotel and on the spot gives him the rundown of kind of uh, mm-hmm. what happened to the last caretaker there grady which we'll talk about later he's really you know he's really positive about once again like the really positivity level um, was, was just... up on him you know tells jack what he needs to do and even when Ullman is showing Jack and Wendy around the hotel, mm-hmm. showing them everything. You know, it's like, all right, yeah. And this is, you know, the the kitchen, the ballroom, and, you know, we're just going to show them around real bit. And while the staff members are walking by, they're all like, you know, see you, Mr. Allman. You know, see you next year. Right. You know, they were really happy. You know, it's they like weren't they, making snide remarks behind his back. You know, it was just like. It's like they all got along with each other. It just seemed like the nicest manager, nicest hotel manager anybody's ever known. Like, that's how I felt. <laughs> Even when he's uh, talking about the the build the how the hotel was built, yeah, you know he's walking yeah. along. Yeah, you know it was built in 1907. Apparently, it was built on an Indian burial ground. He just says that so casually too, like, like it's no big deal. Oh, really? <laughs> nice history here. Uh, yeah. So we had to like you know, and that's about it. Like once the tour is over on the hotel, he's, that's about it. He's yeah, out he's, of the film as a character. But in the the book, uh, Jack makes a phone call. That's uh, right. A little bit he, later in the book, because Jack finds this scrapbook in the he wanted the, to ask him questions. The didn't where he? he had to dump the boiler, and he finds the Overlook Hotel's you know very colorful history, and he calls up Allman in Florida, who he where he worked down. He's like just to get back at him basically for the way Allman was talking to him. Earlier, He's like, yeah, yeah, you know, I know all about this, and I'm going to write a book about this too. Why Jack? Jack didn't even know why he even bothered to call, but he felt the need to. And Ullman didn't like that either. Tried to have him fired on the spot, but didn't work. No. That was that's pretty much it about Stuart Ullman, other than he was a pretty snooty manager. Mm-hmm. And in the movie he's kind of a nice guy. But there's not much going into it. Either as one farther than that, it's it's pretty over and done with. Important supernatural happenings. Room two seventeen. In the book, room two seventeen is the possessed room. In the movie, room two thirty seven is a morbid curiosity. And you notice how I say room 237 as opposed to 217? 
Yeah. Well, that in itself yeah. is a change. <laughs> That's curiosity right there. I'm not really sure why the change. It, it's I don't I don't know. Only Kubrick probably knew that. But probably. yeah, in the in the book it was room 217, and in the movie it was room 237. I, it's a small change, but I guess it doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. But yeah, in the book he uh, got so curious about that Danny. room. Yeah, Danny did. So what he was driven to actually go and get the key to that room. And go in? Well, Dick told him... Well, didn't really tell him about Room 217. He kind of knew what was on Dick's mind. He knew that so there was something there. There was right? something there, and he kind of asked about it, but told him not to go in there, but... But he still I went. think I think Danny was almost drawn to that room in a way. More about a curiosity, but also to prove something. What, to prove that there was Nothing there could hurt, hurt him. Like, he kind of like how kids are it's like you know uh, you know i can so take care of this i'm not be, afraid he wanted to be strong he wanted to test himself sort of not that he had any real reason to go in there no, but he more just of like to. i think the hotel was a little bit of an influence to kind of go in there he was kind of drawn to it like a magnet but yeah he did get yeah, the room key so. go inside um just to prove that nothing here could hurt him and that uh-huh. the images that he had seen weren't there you know, or weren't there just him. couldn't hurt him basically um but it's kind of an important moment in supernatural reasons yeah because one he does see what's in there which is this i guess this middle-aged older lady that's in the tub and she's all middle-aged is that what i thought it was older but might have been uh middle-aged still a little bit older yeah but yeah in the bathtub because apparently there she had overdosed a story that you hear from uh i believe it was from one of the not from Allman, but great-grandfather had built the oh. hotel, but he was kind of almost in a way a caretaker during the season of when the Overlook Hotel is operational. Basically that she had overdosed on uh, pills in that room oh. and she kind of was seeing like this young guy who kind of left and, and basically oh, okay. killed herself in the tub. And so what Danny sees is this real well, like she, he, purple-colored dead pruned-up woman in the in the bathtub. Mm-hmm in this like soggy water and so it scares him he kind of runs away but the woman kind of gets up out of the tub follows him and so he's trying danny's trying to get out of this room but then he also closes his eyes and thinks you know there's nothing there there's nothing there right it's okay he gets out of there he opens the door because he wasn't turning the doorknob the right way but he gets out of the room and he's like okay there was nothing there but is grabbed and pulled back into the room and it started and is strangled by the woman mm-hmm. and that kind of it's the the turning point to where of all the images that he had seen this is the one that actually kind of shows that yeah was, there are things in this place that are actually kind of becoming real that you can be harmed in this place like you can actually be hurt like the, it's, it's yeah. much more real than what you think it is it's the not, one thing that actually does physically hurt him well right well in just in particular like all of them have been just like imagery it before mm-hmm. but this is actually something that grabbed it him actually attacked him and yeah. attacked him for real and, and it, it. it wasn't just you know small little squeeze or anything that actually She's left trying marks to choke on him. him there's there's finger like literally welts yeah on his neck. I, I can't believe that it was like so strong of a thing that it could actually you it, know leave that mark to an extent of a dead woman it just felt really real even if it was maybe a ghost you know, in the movie, it's really short because Danny walks past it. He's not really driven by too much curiosity over it. He kind of passes it. He's riding his little scooter yeah, through the hallways. Yeah. And he passes the room, 237, he, looks yeah, at he, it, tries to open it. It's locked. Oh, well, on his way. Until later on, he uh, is lured to it because he thinks his mom is in the room or maybe his dad. 
uh, the door is already open with the key already in mm-hmm. it. So pretty much that well, yeah, was the, already the, uh, done for him. They already the opened. red ball came through, didn't it? Yeah, he was it, uh, that, he was drawn to it from a ball that was kind of rolled on the floor to him, and it came reason. assuming came from that direction of that room, which he, the door was yeah, open, and he walks in somehow, and that's it. You don't find out what happens in there until Danny's already walking out to his parents mm-hmm. with already marks on him. Yeah, and Wendy noticed that uh, he had these marks all over him. To the assumption that maybe Jack grabbed a hold of him like yeah, punished so Danny kind of like he did before. She so got defensive. Real defensive. And then it wasn't until later that Jack went to investigate the room, which he also does in the book. But right. in the movie, you're given kind of what happens there. You find out not what happened to the woman in there, but you find out that there is some kind of there ghost lady something. in there. Yeah. So Jack goes in there, sees her, and runs out, basically, and just denies even seeing Anything. it or yeah. that even happened. In, in both of them, he denied this Yeah, in woman both of them. being there. It was just nothing. Basically, because he thinks, because he was said, oh, there might be a person in that room. He goes in there, sees her, and runs mm-hmm. out, and that's about it. Just pretends it didn't even happen. So those both, right. are they're pretty similar, but you're not given any backstory on, like, not at all. what you saw or what happened. You're just kind of like... Whoa, that's kind of scary. Like, Let, yeah. it's another ghost. Uh, yeah, I'm <laughs> just to I'm, add to the creepiness of this film. Yeah, you know, I'm gonna get out of this room. I'm not gonna stay here. So it's kind of the turning point. Like, oh, there is kind of an immediate danger in this hotel. There's something there. A very pressing matter. So it's an important place. So, The Shining. In the book, The Shining is a psychic power. In the movie, The Shining is non-existent talent, so to speak. Like I said before, The Shining's only really brought up uh, in the in, movie just just at the very through beginning. various imagery that I, I guess that was Kubrick's artistic skill there of trying to show us what like what The Shining kind of does, but really yeah, what but it, it is. Yeah, but it wasn't a whole lot there to it, right? Um, so. And then maybe just how he contacts Dick in his head, or some of the things he sees in the hotel, or that it's been talked about as a power, but mainly Dick hollering in the movie that's only the only time the shining ever is brought up is when they were talking in the kitchen yeah that's it and throughout the entire movie you're just kind of left with all the supernatural things or the things that danny does Mm -hmm. you can imagine it as a part of the shining or the power that he has i I would think it yeah for not being a non-existent i would have thought it would be more of just like uh you know the gut feeling that something bad is happening here or you know you think something's wrong no not not this actual that's how it's that's thing. how it's talked about in the book because you're you're given the well the definition of it is because uh, i guess by in the bible it's considered having vision and the more scientific term would be just more of precognitive like premonitions almost in a way kind of just kind yeah. of thoughts that you yeah. have basically what Something's the shining is is it's described as a power that almost a lot of us have, but we only shine so much. You know, we you either are very so dim or we die uh-huh. or we are really bright. Like the dimmest is probably maybe about a mother having a hunch or a certain like uh what do you call it? Uh, just that feeling you get. Yeah, like you have a funny feeling about something mm-hmm. or it's or you have a, a feeling this is what's going on or something's gonna happen. That's or... about the time like yeah, something like that, or you have a bad feeling about something. That's kind of like the, the, dimmest, the dimmest part of it. The brighter is more mm-hmm. um you can feel people's thoughts and well, you can read, you can their, read thoughts their thoughts and you can feel their feelings mm-hmm. basically. And then shining even more what seeing the visions of the past. Even the so more like you can see what happened or things that may happen mm-hmm. or things that happened the, a long so time ago. Just 
these big possibilities, the stronger the shine is. Yeah. I mean, with Danny, he has all of it. And given his age, he, he has... So that's pretty strong I think it's about after he had his arm broken that he started having this kind of power. He can started, he started uh, listening to the words inside mm-hmm. Jack and Wendy's heads. Like certain words he doesn't you know even know because as a five-year-old, you're very limited to what you know. Right. about things or words that you've uh, never heard of or have any meaning towards and that's kind of why he's so eager to, to read as many books as he can to or at least learn to read because he right so he can understand he can't exactly read either yeah. so he's trying to read and he's trying to do it at such a, a fast pace so he knows what these things mean because often he's given words or pictures of things he doesn't right. fully understand and he gets it's the only thing he can like with it. yeah right because of so of, of how much he actually shines Mm-hmm. It's so powerful or that he can like, yeah. or the ability to talk to Dick in his head. So I don't know. I mean, this could be taken either way. This could be, it could be taken just as, you know, just a, a psychological thing too. It's like, you could just have like a hunch. Maybe this is what the person's talking about. Or maybe you so, can envision what happened later on or, or what happened before that. I mean, there's kind of a supernatural feel about it, but in another way too, you could almost look at it through a psychological thing as right. well. Maybe they don't really have the shine. Maybe it's just, like you said, psychological, that they're just thinking that they know these things. Right, and it's just all coincidence, usually, or the things you've seen, or the thoughts, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it's your own thoughts. It could be psychological. That's crazy. kind of the debate on that, but I don't know. Why don't we uh, call the audience about that? So, I mean, but what do you think? Is The Shining maybe more psychological, or do you think it's more supernatural, more of a spiritual thing? Uh, you can let us know by heading to versusmachine.com and clicking on the contact button at the top right-hand corner of the page or heading over to our Facebook presence at facebook.com slash versusmachine. Lloyd. In the book, Lloyd is an imagined bartender. In the movie, Lloyd is a spirit of the hotel. Once again, not this is kind of a small character, but it's... I feel it is so important in both the book and the movie because it kind of shows how much of a downward spiral yeah. Jack's sanity is in a way. Because Lloyd is, yeah, he pretty much, at the Overlook Hotel, mm-hmm. there's no liquor. It's dry. No, it's empty. So, and this is, I believe, after when Danny was strangled by the ghost in room 217 or 237, however you want to put it, he... Once again, when That's he right. has this insinuation that Jack found him, uh-huh. got angry that and what choked him, it just and yeah, and to, hurt Danny, mm-hmm. and just that insinuation it will both hurt Jack in a way, but also really made him kind of mad that Wendy would, you know, she's never gonna let that go. That right. I broke his arm. She's always gonna hold that grudge against me. So he got so frustrated that he actually <laughs> he, wanted to go to the bar to alleviate the. You know, well, he goes. He doesn't follow after them. He he kind of like goes his own way, mm-hmm. and he ends up in the at the bar in the in the ballroom area and no liquor there's nothing there no. so he kind of sits at the bar stool and just like oh, he talks I just, himself I he really, wished I would, for a drink I, I so badly need mm-hmm. a drink like just one tiny drink and and all of a sudden his imagination catches up to him and, and this and is kind of yeah this is where it goes to where in the moment of that he just kind of pretends that there's a bartender there he's like oh hello lloyd Kind of slow, huh? <laughs> you know. Um, yeah. And he's there, and he's like, oh, yes, Mr. Torrance. 
Indeed it is. Well, I'm glad you're here, because I have two 20s and two 10s right here in my wallet. And I was afraid they were going to be here the whole season. <laughs> you know, like, So why don't you go ahead and give me 20 martinis? The I think it's the amount of months that he had been sober is 20 months. And about line them up, Lloyd, one by one. And yeah. so Lloyd does so, but kind of in Jack's own mind, he's it's not really there because it's very... Right, it's it's, it's nothing. distinctly being told that he's picking up this martini glass, he's kicking it back, mm-hmm. throws the martini glass behind him, and while it should shatter, it's just there's no sound. Nothing. It's just basically nothing. So he kicks back once so again, he's over and over, just kind of thinking that he's actually drinking when there's yeah. nothing there at all. Yeah, and pretty much coming out and telling Lloyd of just Wendy in particular about you know, God, she's never gonna let this go. You know, uh-huh. all trying to be against me. You know, she's you know this and that. But in the reality of it, when Wendy comes back, there's, you know, no Lloyd. There's nothing, no just, glasses. Just him no nothing. There. It's mm-hmm. just that it never happened. No alcohol had ever touched his lips. It was just all in his head. But in the movie, this one's a little bit hard to distinguish because by then you're already having so many, like, supernatural things happen, so many ghosts right. and things happening or going on to where maybe Lloyd actually is a ghost. Maybe it's not a part of Jack's mind. Maybe he's actually there. The the, the hmm. alcohol is still not real, but maybe maybe Lloyd maybe he's actually there, just kind of listening a to Jack. In sort of like he's actually like a ghost there, and not like a figment of Jack's imagination. And same way again, he that pours he Jack a him. drink, and Jack talks back to him mm-hmm. about Wendy and Jack, the whole situation in particular. But you know, when Wendy comes back in, Lloyd's gone, and so is the drink. You're almost wondering since all this, since you keep seeing all this, you're not really given a clear definition of, or a clear perspective, if this was all in Jack's head. It could be insinuation, or maybe this is just an actual spirit because you're already given by that. Oh, the Overlook's haunted. This yeah. is another spirit in the book. It's very real clear that this is all really in Jack's head. Lloyd's not really mm-hmm. there. But in the movie, they right. think of it as an actual ghost. From- pretty much. The Overlook Hotel. In the book, the Overlook Hotel is a place with many dark secrets. In the movie, the Overlook Hotel is a haunted hotel. And and this is what I was going back to Lloyd before, because with the Overlook, you can almost... Uh, it it seemed quite its bit of history. Mm-hmm. It was built in, like a, I believe it said 1907. It's had so many different... It's had so many owners. Until 1947, I believe it was owned by, a, uh, I think, a really popular uh, movie uh, producer or really a millionaire, just a kind of a, a big shot that opens up the Overlook Hotel and has this big mast party there and it's in its light to try Mm -hmm. and revive the hotel from its here and there states of decay because obviously since it has so many different ownerships over the years that it's probably not getting maintained very well but he kind of brings that to the light he wants this to be like the hip hotel this kind of that revolutionize revolutionizes hotels in particular like this is quite the spot that's going to be which kind of also opened the gateway for you know gambling and a bunch of other stuff too, especially when it involves the mafia, which we believe wow. that a lot of bad things happen there in particular, like uh, this crime boss got hit in the presidential suite actually. And it shows that, that he's hit by a uh, few people, a few hitmen mm-hmm. that got him with shotguns and killed his two bodyguards outside. And you, see, you can, it's descriptive as the blood on the walls and Is, oh. just the, the bloody mess that's left behind that Danny sees when he walks in the room. That's but right. okay. yeah. there's that. 
a lot of crime dealings probably went on that place, but also a lot of incidents that not they're more natural deaths. People who had strokes, heart attacks, you know, more natural causes. But it to but an extent, like the happened. hotel had seen a <clears throat> lot of history to where I'm sure it would have a lot of negative energy yeah. from what the the deaths of the people who died right. there, and it what just manifested itself and pretty much these, yeah. I mean, from you know, Dick's perspective, he's seen some things here and there, but we're never able to materialize in form. But I think when Danny got there, because his his shine was so great and his energy <clears throat> was so vibrant that they could take the physical form? Uh they kind of like like a yeah, it so started they to what, suck they, in his energy and his become energy more materialized, mm-hmm. more real. Cuz they're so And the know, hotel rich. was like coming back to life with you know, the party, the, the all the guests at the party at the hotel mm-hmm. in the 1940s and all the things that happened there, all the ghosts, all the deaths like it was all becoming one again. And I think it was just feeding off of Danny, and it wanted its his energy. Is that why they wanted uh, it wanted Danny so much? For right, its, and uh, shine. The only way they could do that was really getting to to Jack, because I think he was the easiest to manipulate to bring it to go ahead and do mm-hmm. these things, because he was just so full of this power, and that's why they overlooked. But how could they have Danny's power if they use Jack to kill him? When he loses energy, you know, from it, the no, that, it, it yeah, I know makes, uh, the way I guess there. I'm wording it become. I guess in a way through life. death he becomes more powerful because once they have him and once he's a part of the hotel, perhaps maybe I don't know. I'm not quite sure where uh, it was it, going. It there. seems kind of strange to me, but I, I guess they can take his energy. No, that's dead. true, and that kind of goes along with maybe no. it was more psychological than spiritual but that's kind of the yeah, impression I, of it is that this hotel would have more okay, life so again. It, does, it doesn't matter like, life or death like the, for Danny, like the hotel was but, in itself an entity yeah go ahead i just felt like maybe his you know his energy would be a lot stronger for the hotel if he was actually alive you to would, feed off of you it. would think but i guess the way this works is it just, that by killing him they would he have it gets I, everything I, and everything that's just the way it kind of draws into but with the movie so. um you're not given that explanation whatsoever or kind of that feeling. It's just that the Overlook Hotel, yeah, it had its history. And you know this from some mm-hmm. of the things you hear. But and, throughout the you know, course of the film, you just see little stuff here and there. Little images, kind of like when Danny's riding through the hallways on yeah. his little scooter, like cart, that he sees the twins, the, the twin little there. girl standing there mm-hmm. in the hallway going, you know, come and play with us, Danny. Forever. Yeah. Forever. Yeah, and he sees kind of like the mess left behind, what happened to them, and yeah, he had a basically just him. images, yeah. like pictures in a book. Mm-hmm. They're not real, Pop-ups. but all the stuff that's happened. But you really see it more as like a just a big haunted house, because you just see, you any, see tor- any corner, yeah. any corner you go, you see things. Um, Whether it be the girls or the blood or yeah, with that or with Jack, Wendy, Wendy sees a lot of it towards the end of the film because that's when a lot of things start really happening. It's like when Jack's going after Danny. Yeah. Wendy's kind of wandering the the hotel trying to look for Danny and all these spirits are there. All these like visions and stuff like it. the elevator door opening up and this this river of blood shooting out of it mm-hmm. or the the dead hotel guests, the skeletons and a few all other things stuff. as well. It's yeah. just it just feels like oh this has happened. This is just one big haunted ho- you know hotel. That's how I felt with it throughout the entire thing. Like there wasn't really anything that was feeding off of Danny's energy. It just felt like it was just spooky. Oh well, yeah. since we kind of already know that the last caretaker had an unfortunate end here last year that I guess history is just repeating itself this year. And this hotel is just generally haunted and that's it. 
And that's just how the feeling I got from the Overlook, other than it being like an actual entity, Mm -hmm. like something that's not normally threatening, but because Danny had come here, maybe things started forming, materializing, and all the bad things are just playing like an endless loop. Both of them really creepy in a way. like But very different. Yeah, it just had its own buildup. And in the movie, I felt it passed off as, you know, being, you know, spooky and creepy. It, it had its own good it did. notes on that. Delbert Grady. In the book and movie, Delbert Grady is the tipping point for Jack. Right. And so as I mentioned about Grady beforehand, he was, Grady was actually the caretaker the year before Jack had taken the job. And what he what is discussed of what happened to Grady, Mm. basically in the book, Grady was kind of just this uh, dropout, this kind of like this drunk. He's Mm -hmm. he's categorized as a drunk. Brought his wife and two little twin girls up there. During his time of caretaker. Yeah, during his time as the caretaker the last year. And went crazy, killed his wife and his two little girls with an axe. Oh, man. Pretty much, yeah, and that's the gruesome story behind it. And it was the same way for the movie as well. That's the same background for Grady. Now, how Grady ties into this in both, yeah, both in the book and the movie, he materializes in the same way. This is when Jack is pretty close to that tipping point of him going to kill his family. Uh, He goes back into the ballroom with all the guests. You know, he's having drinks, which debatable or for real or not. And he sees this, I guess this, uh, you see Grady uh, pushing the cart of liquor serving alcohol like he's a you know like he's a bartender almost not quite like lloyd lloyd's still there but just another one of the yeah so he's more of a servant you know like a A service sort of like that kind of bumps into jack you know he spills a little bit of his drink on jack he's like oh we'll we'll get that taken care of he's like okay yeah that's fine so what's your name oh delbert grady oh Oh. hmm sounds kind of familiar doesn't it i'm not trying to be forward or anything but weren't you the caretaker i know i I can't believe I say I was, and you've always been the caretaker. <laughs> like, so he plays off as just this uh, servant. So he he's he is, obviously was the caretaker, but has he has no I think, no memory of that. He just I think he knows, but that's just how it is. Uh, he's just now a part of the hotel. I think he's just now one with them, one of the guests, one of the okay. So servants like just there. cut off that memory of him and just well, put true. Him there. Well, yeah, there's that until. Jack really pushes the point of, no, mm-hmm. you were the caretaker here, and uh, you killed your family, too. It's like, well, I really have no recollection of that, which, I mean, you can, as it progresses, you can right. kind of tell there is, because he starts saying, well, I do have to say, though, you know, I was at the Overlook. My wife and two daughters didn't care to think the same way I did about this place. Yeah. They... And my daughters actually tried to burned the place down with the matches they had stolen from me so i corrected them and when my wife came along i corrected her too so it kind of tells you what happened there yeah. but also um he starts kind of influencing jack a little bit and this is while jack is still drinking rather if the liquor was real or not starts trying to like say you know your wife and son have turned you at, like it had crossed you at every turn i think they need to be corrected too basically i think yeah that's a pretty think big they need, correction i think there. You know, your son's been a real naughty boy. I think you need to discipline him, him, correct him, Mm -hmm. if you don't mind me saying so. So I think with Grady, at that point, he really pushed Jack over the edge. It it was his whatever reasoning or logic that Jack had. Well, I don't think he he 
thought about you know that way at all there was a until... thought or two that Kate, that crossed his head but he never knew where it came from it was just kind of a thought like so I... even when he was really angry at Wendy's like killer and he's like wait what what am I doing where, yeah where, well no where did that come from so um, definitely... but Grady kind of just influenced like yeah you know so they need to be dealt with he... because they won't understand like we mm-hmm. will you know, he hit that breaking point with him, you know. Right, and he felt the same and way. he drew Jack to that point where it wasn't Jack anymore. It was just the hotel, the hotel taking over, taking over Jack mm-hmm. in a way, and Needs leading to, him uh, to kill, to go and kill Wendy and Danny. Right, and that was kind of the bigger point on that. So it was definitely that tipping point and important part. Okay, well, we're gonna go ahead and take a break real quick, and so come back soon, and we'll get into symbolism. Shining, we'll be right back. isn't interested in becoming a voiceover artist. Read the commercials, create the custom on-hold phone messages and TV and film and game narration today with The Voice Farm. Find out more right now by accessing voicefarmers.com. That's voicefarmers.com. Don't miss the review of HBO's True Blood during the Fangbanger podcast from Two Guys Talking. Great entertainment with real bite. Check it all out at fangbangerpodcast.com. Looking for a straightforward user interface on a cost-effective, feature-filled, multi-track recording software? Call off the search. Mixcraft from Acoustica has exactly what you're looking for. It's time to include reliable audio creation and editing software with real punch into your projects. Check out Mixcraft now over at acoustica.com forward slash Mixcraft and start a new generation of audio creation and editing today. Is that sound familiar to you? Having your cell phone die can happen at the wrong time. As a poker player, you could be in a long tournament for 12 hours, the phone dies, and you miss a call from a loved one. Or you're about to tweet about a hand that just happened in a poker tournament, but you can't because the phone is dead. Oh, it can get worse. I know a friend whose wife's phone died out of town with no car charger. What saved her, and what will save you, is poker power. I have one, and let me tell you, this small but powerful charger is both safe and portable. Safe because it has surge protection, which will automatically shut off and won't overcharge your phone battery. Poker Power is small enough to fit in your pocket, purse, or leave it in your backpack. My Poker Power can charge my phone up to four times or four different phones. It comes in a few sizes, even one that can completely charge your iPad. Check out Poker Power now at twoguystalkingpoker.com. Look for the link that says Two Guys Poker Power. You'll see the different sizes available and how easy it is to order. You won't be sorry, and you won't be caught hearing this sound. Poker Power, twoguystalkingpoker.com. Two Guys Talking I love Mickey Rourke's initial costume when he rips off the roadway red outfit and he starts whopping the the first whips that he's got. I thought that was just some of the best special effects I've ever seen. That's funny because I'm actually the opposite. Oh, you're on that scene? You're kidding. Well, I, I, I do agree that the costume was excellent in the movie overall. His what costume did you want? was stupid. 
Why? What do you want? Because it left him almost completely unprotected. Oh, he's got these magic whip things. Oh, don't hit me with the whip. I'll just shoot you from 50 yards away and you fall down dead. No, he didn't. Totally he was actually, no, he was actually able to deflect the shot. <laughs> I mean, it's incredulous, but hey, there's a guy flying around in a suit of armor. Well, I, I can suspend you know, his belief to a certain extent, but that was that was just ridiculous. I, I love that. I love, the, uh, I love the little figure that they've made, the little action figure that you can get. It all looks stellar, and it could be so stupid, just like Tony thinks it looks. <laughs> but it doesn't. It looks perfect. Uh, the guy is throwing little tiny bolts of lightning via these whips and walking down the street leaving a path of destruction in his and wake. I think I think it looked like a living action figure so it is a living action figure <laughs> it's a ripped action from figures. the pages of comics thank you law and order announcer <laughs> <laughs> it was another great summer film from 2010 Iron Man 2 don't miss one of our most popular downloads to date the two guys talking perspective review of Iron Man 2 now available on DVD check it all out at twoguystalking.com all right, welcome back, and we're gonna go ahead and get into our symbolism here. Good look, red rum. In the book, red rum is a vague warning. In the movie, red rum is a subliminal message. Now, in the book, it's given through Danny's vision. When he's given visions in his head, he often sees the word red rum. Mm -hmm. You don't really know what it is he immediately, either. but it keeps popping up. In the movie, it's kind of almost the same way, but it's more of a slippable message. But it was just there that one time writing it, right? Well, Didn't it show up multiple times in the book? I think it only happened maybe twice in the movie, really quick in the beginning, and then when Danny Wait. is writing it oh, okay. on the door. But either way, in the book, it's it's often referred to because Red Rum keeps popping up, and it's not until later in the book when he's looking at the glass dome of the yeah. clock and he sees the word Red Rum, but it mirroring it's, it, mm -hmm. it sees the backwards word murder and i almost think that red rum it keeps popping up really it's just more of a warning that before he went to the hotel and during the hotel mm -hmm. but because things aren't exactly seen the same way in a maybe in a vision that no. sometimes they're backwards i think that's how red rum was popping up same way in the movie too only it only popped up once or twice and then danny kept saying red rum not in the book well he kind of was like hmm uh what is what does red rum mean? I don't I don't understand this. They, they, in the movie, it's just like red rum, red rum, <laughs> red rum. Like okay, and then it's only until later in the movie when he writes it on the door. Wendy looks in the mirror and, and she sees, sees murder. murder. Yeah, she's like, like reflecting in the mirror, and that's about it. <clears throat> and you kind of just it's kind of a shock. It's like oh my god, it's kind of like a quick like mm -hmm. little moment, but no, it's that, just more of a somebody's message. gonna get killed. Yeah. Yeah. Tony. In the book, Tony. Is basically Danny. In the movie, Tony is Danny's imaginary friend. Tony is, uh, you don't really get to see Tony. What It's a vision that Danny has every time. Tony constantly comes to him to kind of show him things, messages, mm -hmm. or, or maybe things in the Something future, warnings, basically. But he's so far at a distance that he's kind of shadowed in a way. You can't really make him out, other than he's an older boy, basically. And yeah. it's not until later in the book that Danny that Tony comes closer and it's just showing that it's actually Danny in real life. Probably about maybe 10 years older, maybe 15. Oh, uh, It's okay. given, so it's just basically himself, so himself. Almost like his deep subconscious of himself showing these things. And that's the only way wow. he was able to a... process this. And in the movie, Danny is, well, what he says, the little boy that lives in his mouth. I don't know if, I don't <laughs> think it's psychological. I think it's just a weird quirk. Because the only way he determines Tony is, you know, 
he he, he uses moves his, his finger, finger up and down to let everybody know every time that Tony. Tony's talking uh-huh. is like remember what Mr. Holleran said it's just like pictures in a book red rum you know uh-huh. it was just kind of awkward like little thing that Stanley Kubrick did but it I don't kind know of strange. He, he really just came off as more of just an imaginary goofy friend or maybe something to aid Danny but I, it didn't something have more of a meaning other than the, just to be awkward. Maybe it just gave him the courage to do what he, you know, he himself can do. Yeah, in a way of that too. And I just felt it was more poignant in the book because it actually showed Tony showed him things that he needed to know. Right, that didn't really which could have just been movie. himself and in the movie. Yeah, in the movie yeah. was just awkward. The timer. In the book. The timer is Jack's life. In the movie, the timer isn't really present. And this is really quick because the timer, time is more of, it keeps being brought up in the book through uh, the clock mm-hmm. that Jack had set back maybe 20 seconds during a debate club that he had for one of his students because his students was, he had a problem stuttering. And it just felt like that time was of an essence in a way because Jack revolved around that so much on what led that student to slash his tires, but also at the same mm-hmm. time too, he's driven by time in a way because he has this thing about the boiler too. The boiler is kind of the important part too because it, it's old and it, it needs to be dumped <clears throat> constantly every day. And if he doesn't that. dump that boiler, it's like basically a time bomb. And more than that, it almost like represents Jack as well because he himself is almost like a time bomb, regardless mm-hmm. of which he, if he didn't come to the hotel, Still, but because of his anger, it was just a matter he, of know, time that arises in that him. He, yeah, and what he did, it was all mm-hmm. time bomb, and like time was real, and even the clock that they showed in the ballroom that really reflected on that. So it's you know time is of the essence, at least for <laughs> Jack, it, pretty much. Themes. So family here in this book, family was probably a real heavy tone here because. Jack was taking this job at the Overlook because he, Rock Bob, I already mentioned this before, but he knew things were happening at the hotel. He wanted to pretend things weren't happening here. Danny knew things were happening, mm-hmm. but I think all three of them, Wendy, Jack, and, and Danny, kind of had to stay because even though there was something bad or wrong happening here. He had to do this job. He needed the money. Jack had to. And he was working on a play, but that wasn't guaranteed that he was going to like get him get back. The, he, mm-hmm. this was to, the overlook was to try and prove that he could come back into like in his own way to society and make a new life for himself in a way just of all the, us, the, what, screw ups. the car wrecks that he's mm-hmm. had in life. If he left the hotel, that would be it they would be shoveling driveways for the rest of their life. It just, they, they, he had a very grim outlook on that. Mm-hmm. And to the point where he would prevent any way for them of ever leaving the hotel by destroying the snowcat and destroying the CB radio when he was sleepwalking just so that they could get this. So, but the family's just really heavily relied on here because he's doing this for them in a way. But at the same time, he kind of, it's almost yeah. their burden on to him. Like it's be a there. big burden, yeah. right? Violence. With violence, it's kind of, I almost want to relate with Jack in a way here because he loses his temper quite a lot. And that's been his biggest problem. Even when he was drinking or not drinking, back when he was having his like drinking habits, mm-hmm. he would always be on, he'd be on edge. Pretty and he'd, easy he'd be driven to like, you know, like almost want to hit Danny in a way, which I guess he did in a way. He slapped him. Yeah. But also just kind of this overwhelming need to like to kill, just this inner 
violence. The of, inner rage. I think. I think the when inner he gets rage. Into the rage that gets to him. So it gets caught up in him that you know, he just wants to kill anybody that gets in his way. Right, and it's well that, and even with the the history of the Overlook too, so much violence happened there with mafia dealings, right. and even when people dying. But just there's a, not even just a hotel, but any place it in general, there's always a history a of, of some sort of violence. It's it's in our nature. It's everything's gonna have a a, a bad past, mm-hmm. but you know there's also good things too. But it's violence itself is pretty implied. Reality. Reality has been kind of a big issue here because there's a lot of moments too. You want to think that it's more supernatural based, but maybe like the the things here are maybe happening, but at the same time, are they really happening? That's kind of the thought on that. Like, right. You, they don't know if this is all happening or if it's just all in their minds. Well, a lot of things seem to conclude that it is a part of I mean, what's going on because I mean, same way with the the topiary or the the hedge animals. Mm-hmm. That are felt like the, like the guardians outside of the hotel. Like they move every time you're not looking at them, but they were also more of a supernatural element. But at the same time, was that really happening? Or was it or just, was in, it just head? in your head? Was it really yeah. in Jack's head when he's going because through his downward spiral? But any of the ghosts, maybe any of the spirits, maybe they were all just in your head. Now, maybe, as far as Wendy and Danny go, maybe it was just a collective thing. Maybe they just been cooped up so long that they, they just kind of start started believing. And they, well, I don't I mean, know if, they start. I, thinking that they're there they're real they're alive i don't know if they'd be like going crazy but in a way just well not crazy crazy but just in you know your mind you'll just lose it for me being stuck like you said right or even if danny's looking at the fire hose expecting it to come off its hook like a snake with its with its razor teeth and like bite into dare wrap itself around danny's like it's it just it's all i think over imaginative thinking like you know or paranoia mm-hmm. seeing things that aren't really there it, you could make it really this being like Maybe none of this is actually happening. Maybe this is all in their heads, and this is just Jack's insanity. Really more Jack, but like with Danny, Mm -hmm. him being an imaginative little kid, maybe. Who knows? Even The Shining. That's a strong imagination. Which leads into our next thing. Through a child's eyes. Uh, I already mentioned this earlier, just with Danny being how young he is, he sees things in a different light. He doesn't understand a whole lot of words or things that people are saying, so he almost categorizes them into what's good and bad. That's almost kind of an interesting thing, because there's an adult world and there's like a, a child's world, too, because... You see different things, well, whether right. you're a kid or an adult. Yeah. Right. They see things that we can't sometimes, and vice versa. So, I mean, it's kind of a... It's interesting. It's an interesting point they, uh, to bring out in this book, the things that Danny observes or how he relates mm-hmm. them to different things, and it's quite an interesting right. character trait and real realistic for a child yeah, as well. When, so. when he would uh, tell them things, they wouldn't believe him. Right. So, I think that's a that's a pretty good point. So, Lessons. Are we a product of our environment or do we make our environment a product of us? And what do you think about that? Now, the environment that we're in, does it take over us from being there so much, or do we actually make the environment? That's, yeah, that's... uh, Well, I mean, it's clearly, like, from what in the film's trying to portray, like, it kind of shows, like, Jack Torrance getting cabin fever, especially the scene when the mm -hmm. the snow's falling and Wendy and Danny are outside playing in the snow, and then the... The camera kind of goes to Jack, and he's inside just staring out the mm-hmm. window, and the camera kind of zooms in on his face. He's not moving. He just has this certain, like, look on his face. Like, may he, once he ha- yeah. well, for one, he has writer's block, but two, like, 
So it's the environment it's, that's it's almost making like, him. Yeah. Like, it's really yeah. like this place that's getting to him. Like, he's getting cabin fever for being cooped up in here with these two other people. Like, you, you, you can't know, get out uh, and do anything else. You yeah. know, what do you want me to do about this? You, know? you want me to go and kill him? Yeah. You know, when I'm in here and you hear me typing, like, <laughs> just a little bit, slowly by a little, because you see him as a normal guy. And he looks all forward to it, but as it progresses, it's like it the just, more he stays in this place, the more he's like, "I love this place. I don't ever want to leave." <laughs> it just—it's it, it, really great, but really creepy. But I yeah, don't. so it seems like most of the time it would be the environment that you're in that shapes what you do. The same way, the or area. maybe like in the way of making our environment a product of us. Well, yeah, you can. That that works both ways. It, because what you want it to be, but it can also, you know, what you do create you could create it. But I think, well, it goes really, I think yeah, both uh, ways because it, it does. Yeah, I believe so. we make it and it makes us. It, it completes. It, it's a good point to bring across, and I think that that goes for anything of what that does. Right. Stanley Kubrick versus Stephen King, both kings of horror. Is this possible? Is it possible? To both I think be. this is a this is a pretty good thing here because. This is what made Stephen King really like want to be involved with all the all of his future film adaptations because he hated Kubrick's version of a story and in a way too. I like Kubrick's movie. Don't get me wrong. Maybe but for its he, own Stephen name. King felt a lot of people but. felt as though it was pretty butch because it was basically it was. Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. Because once yeah, it's based off the book, but there are so many things. Different with it, cut out in his own twist. So, well, it was really through the eye of Kubrick itself more than Stephen King's, because with Stephen King's story, you had more sympathy towards Jack, but at the same way, it almost was talking about alcoholism Mm -hmm. in particular, and all the things that you've gone through, and just in itself. And with Stanley Kubrick's The Shining, it was his family goes to this hotel for the winter for about half a year. Father goes crazy, tries to kill wife and son. Yeah. That was basically it. Pretty uh, um, And short we're inserting term. a lot of spooky elements in here. We're, we're inserting ghosts, some violent images, uh, creepy music. Yeah. We're basically turning it into a real horror movie. It's, it's a horror story, but it's really just like a horror movie. movie. Just really something to try and scare you. Mm-hmm. Well, in Stephen King's book, it did try to scare you. And to an extent, yeah, it did. It did but with Kubrick's, it was like... Okay, we're going to use these crazy camera shots. Really artistic view. It was really artistic. I felt that the movie was as part as the book. And I think Kubrick had his own vision, and he just put that, and he's like, okay, we're going to take this hotel and these people. That's about it. That's the only thing that they really have taken from the adaptation. But how it deals with the characters, what they did, like in the movie, they didn't go to Sidewinder, the, the town right next to the hotel. They just stayed in that hotel, and it just transpired into weeks, into days. Because every now and then you'd see Wednesday or Saturday mm-hmm. pop just go up. By it's so like, quick. oh, days are passing by. Okay. Well, it just kind of just showing Jack Torrance going crazy. And that's how it was. And I guess that's how he visions horror. And, and Kubrick has a lot of good movies, too. I mean, like, uh, you know, Clockwork Orange. I really like that movie as well. And he has his own particular vision on that. But, I mean, with Stephen King, I mean, it had to be mm-hmm. a, a certain way. And Kubrick just, no, he kind of went his own path. And that's just how it is. They both are good in what they do, fine. but it just it did not work. I mean, this is something I should bring up. I'm going to call the to the audience. You know, but what do you think? Uh, do you really do you prefer Stanley Kubrick's version of The Shining, or would you more prefer Stephen King's version? Like, which one did you actually felt was better? Which one you liked more? So uh, let us know by heading to our versusmachine.com. 
and clicking on the contact button at the top right hand corner of the page or heading over to our Facebook presence at facebook.com slash versus machine. Conclusion. Honestly, I, I like both of them. I, I definitely grew up liking Stephen King's version when I read it, uh, his book in high school, even at a young age, at the age of maybe 10. Yeah. Or no, even younger than that, eight years old. I grew up watching The Shining because I was a pretty good moviegoer there. And I always loved it. It was a scary movie. It was, you know, it was good and really got me into liking, you know, Jack Nicholson as an actor because I remember this is the most iconic role for him and the things that he does. Even it's pop culture too. It's referenced in many, many different stuff, like shows, cartoons, like even The Simpsons. Oh, yeah, that's right. They um, do do that. You know, and especially when uh, Jack's axing the door to the bathroom mm-hmm. to get at Wendy and he pops his face into the into the uh, the hole that the axe made and he's like, here's Johnny. You know, just that kind of insane little quip from, you know, like the Johnny Carson show. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's uh, I don't know. But after reading the book, I, I do like it. It's really hard for me to determine. I have to say that, you know, they both have really good qualities to them. I mean, what do you think? I mean- yeah, obviously his vision is very different, and I guess uh, you know I I could like it for him trying to take it in his own direction, and the way he did things. Yeah, I can respect that. For me, I I kind of like the adaptations towards the book more, so that's why I kind of went with uh, Stephen King's TV. You get a little bit more. more of the characters. Yeah, I get a little more detail of his version through the book. I, I like to be close to the book as I can with the movie. I, it's just how I am with things. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I thought his cast of characters right. and, and how they played it out was really well enough to, you know, scare me as much as I could, you know, while reading it, but mm-hmm. this time visually seeing well, the story. It, it's both a scary book, but it's even a scary movie, a pretty popular one, especially around Halloween Yeah, and it's time because you always you see it on excited. TV constantly. It's a, it's a classic. It's a good story. And a lot of people remember it as it is. So, I mean, they're both pretty good products. Well, that's it. We hope you had fun and learned something. I really love the book and really love the movie. I'm Stephen Wagner. And I'm Stephen Clifton. And it's time to say goodbye. Well, thanks, everybody. Happy Halloween! Thank you for listening to this episode of the Versus Machine Podcast on the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Be sure to like us on Facebook and share your thoughts on this and other episodes inside our online archive of programs that span a wide variety of genres. It's all about comparison, and we want to know what you think. The links to do all of this and show notes for this episode are available at versusmachinepodcast.com. That's versusmachinepodcast.com. Thank you for listening and provide us with your thoughts and contrasting opinions to keep the gears of the Versus Machine running. Power down.